Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 11. Antiochus is a precursor of the future Antichrist. You know how he was dealt with? There was a revolt that happened called the Maccabean Revolt. This is when First and Second Maccabees were written. And it was led by guerrilla warfare. And there were some people who rose up at this time and they took on Antiochus and through guerrilla warfare, these brave Jewish men who were few in number but had rose up, consistently fought against them. And finally, they got the Syrians out of Jerusalem. And they put some oil in the menorah in the temple. And it was supposed to last about a day And it actually lasted about eight days and it became known as the holiday called Hanukkah. That's what happened in the history of Israel. And it's been said by scholars that every time someone tried to get rid of Israel, they have another holiday. (laughs) The Pharaoh tried to destroy them and they have Passover, right? Haman tried to destroy them and they have Purim. And the Syrian madman Antiochus Epiphanes tried to destroy them and they have Hanukkah. <laughs> wow. So right in this area of the world, half a million people lived in Antioch. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire following only Rome and Alexandria. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Syria since they dominated so much of the world. The main street was more than four miles long, paved with marble, lined with marble colonnades on both sides, Get this, it was the only city in the ancient world that at this time had its streets lighted at night. It was the first city known for its nightlife. It had, it had light so you could continue your party. Many wealthy retired people lived in the city. There were Roman baths, gambling on chariot races. The city was full of wickedness, including a shrine that was dedicated to the Greek goddess Daphne who had been seduced in Greek mythology by the god Apollo and whose worship included immoral practices. The shrine of Daphne was located five miles outside the town in a laurel grove. Apollo's famous pursuit of Daphne there was reenacted day and night in the city by the men of the city and by priestesses who were, in fact, ritual prostitutes. It reminds you of Bourbon Street in New Orleans but maybe even worse. People would go there, they would reenact this Greek mythology, but they would reenact it literally. There was all kinds of base immorality going on. And where does God decide that people will first be called Christians? At Antioch. A very dark, dark place. As a matter of fact, the morals of Daphne was Greek slang for people who were involved in loose living or people who were immoral. One Roman writer of the time, Juvenal, said, the wickedness of Antioch has flooded into other regions in our kingdom. It became a melting pot for five cultures and the Jews made up about one-seventh of the population. There were Greeks, Romans, 
Jews, Arabs, and Persians all in this area. So it became somewhat of a melting pot, but because it was so wicked, it was just known for this darkness. I mentioned to you guys that my son is in York, England, and he, he found some real spiritual warfare there. And he said people just go to the pubs. They don't know anything about the Bible. He said it's dark. And then they went down south in between London and York to a place called Kingsland. And he said, Dad, it was 10 times worse there. He said it made York seem like kindergarten because in Kingsland, it's so dark that if you try to share on the streets, you'll probably get beat up. That's how dark it is. Now that's in a place where we had great revivals, great cathedrals, great preachers, great churches, and now the churches are largely empty or they are filled with cultural Christians, but the power is gone. And many people who look at Europe say, the United States is following in their track. Wow. Now the church went into regions like this and they said, you know what, there's hope for everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Look, we've all been saved from, you know, backgrounds that aren't so pretty. But the church went there and they sent Barnabas, the proven encourager, the reconciler. And when he had come, 23 Acts 11, and witnessed the grace of God, what did he do? He rejoiced. And he began to encourage them. And I think this is a play on his name because his name means son of encouragement. He began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. When he arrived, NIV, and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Isn't that great? I mean, think of all the things that Barnabas could have picked apart. Oh boy, do we have problems now. Are these people really saved? I mean, look at the town they live in. Imagine how many Bible studies I'm going to have to share now and try to disciple these people. Who knows? Could he have picked all the negative things? All the, the things on the negative side of the ledger? Do you do that? Do I do that? Instead of rejoicing for what it was, that the grace of God had been evidenced and on display, he didn't go in there and say, oh no, here we go. Let's try to figure out what... No, he rejoiced. He saw the evidence of the grace of God. Look, everyone, every Christian could buy a t-shirt which would read safely, we are under construction. Imagine how many people who had just can't come out of paganism tempted to go back to the reenactments of Apollo and Daphne he had to deal with. Imagine how many Bible studies, how, how much he had to say, no, that's not right. This is what the Lord would have you to do. Lots of work to be done. But he rejoiced because people were coming into the kingdom. People of all different backgrounds. And that's what we need to do. We need to open our arm for people and not say, oh, because you, do you forget where you were 10 or 20 years ago? Had you arrived as a believer five years ago? For some of you, six months ago, right? And then once we got the Christian thing down, we can start looking down our noses at other people. Oh, man, I don't think so, bro. You know, look, look, that's... That stuff on the externals is not the Lord. You start with the inside, the outside will follow. You try to clean up the outside before the inside's dealt with, you're going to have a bunch of wandering believers who have no home because they haven't been accepted. And so the encourager comes, and it's a great thing, man. He, he tells them, look, I want you to keep going. I want you to remain true to the Lord. We started a ministry 
a couple years back. Many of you were there. We went to Corona High School. We had a big church service with a bunch of churches in Corona. And the Lord had given me a passion and a vision to say to the church, and it was evangelistic too, but it was largely a service for the church. And multiple churches came together and we called it, remember, Remain True. And what we were trying to say to the church is let's be unified where we may disagree on peripheral doctrines, but let's not compromise the gospel, who God is, how you get saved, and what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And we had over 2,000 people out there. And I think it made a statement, not only to the church, but to our community, that, you know what, we need to come together and stay resolute in the Lord. Now look at the description of Barnabas. For he, Barnabas, was a good man. Can I pause there and say something to you men? I know a lot of you personally, and a lot of you are good men. You are good men. Sometimes when someone says you're a good man, we get real spiritual. And we say, oh, don't call me good. The Bible says there's nobody good but one. Right? And we do this, we do a redirect, and it sounds good, and it's right, and I'm sure we have good reasons, but the Bible calls Barnabas a good man. And you, my brother, you may doubt yourself, but you can be a good man. What does it take to be a good man? Well, look at the verse. He was a good man, and it's, it's pretty simple, because he was full of God. What makes a good man? God does. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Now, if you think about Barnabas' life, in Acts chapter 4, we also saw he was a generous man. And uh, later in Paul's life, we saw he saw the best in people. He had a big heart. He saw the best of what a person could be, maybe not what they used to be or where they were stuck. He was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, generous, and had a big heart and saw people through God's eyes. You want to be a good man? You want to be a good woman? That's how you do it. You ask God to take over. You ask him to guide you and direct you that you can be his hands and his feet in the world. And so all these people, considerable numbers have come to the Lord. Notice end of 24. And so what did Barnabas do? He was also a wise man. He went and got some help. And he left for Tarsus to look for who? To look for Saul? How long has it been since Barnabas has not seen Saul? About eight years maybe eight to ten years. And where's Saul been this whole time who will become Paul? Well, he went back to his hometown of Tarsus because people were trying to kill him when he was in Jerusalem. So the church said, you better go back home. What do you think Saul was doing during the eight to ten years? I think he was preaching. I think he was teaching people. He probably already had a few bruises, right? He was a seasoned believer. He got revelation of the gospel. And if there was anybody who would teach a new crop of Gentile believers about the ways of God, it was... Saul, because Barnabas knew in Acts 9 that Jesus had called Saul to be the apostle to who? The Gentiles. And so Barnabas looked around and said, I'm going to have to teach 15 Bible studies a week if this goes on like this. Hold on, time out. And off he went to Tarsus to find Saul. What a wise man. He needed help. And, and Paul and Barnabas, look at verse 30. It says, uh, an offering was given the, to the charge of Barnabas and Saul, but here's another beauty about Barnabas's life and ministry. 
for the rest of the book of Acts, to my knowledge, it will not be Barnabas and Saul. It will be Paul and Barnabas. Here's another thing about this man. He knew when to take a back seat to somebody else who might have a gifting in that area. He went and got Saul because he knew there's probably nobody better to teach doctrine to these people, nobody better to get in the trenches with these people. So he went and got the apostle whose call it was to the Gentiles. And could you imagine how excited Paul must have been? Cool, there's how many new believers over there? All right, let's go. And they became a dynamic duo. And in church leadership and in friendships where you may be working with a Christian in a company, come together. Start praying for people by name who are unbelievers in your office. You can become a dynamic duo. Maybe one of you is an encourager and the other one's more passionate about evangelism and doctrine. God can use that. He can use you together to be stronger for that place, that company, that street, whatever it might be. So he took off and he looked for Saul. And when he had found him, look at 26, speaks of a diligent search for him. He brought him to Antioch and it came about for that entire year, for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Isn't that amazing? For a year, what did Saul do? They taught the church. The word is didaskalos in Greek, and it means to instruct. It could imply evangelism, but it probably means they spent a year meeting with considerable numbers of people. Does this sound familiar to you? Teaching them the doctrine of the Bible. And some of you come into church, you say, why we are the Bible? Just go into the next section of the Bible. Because you are what you eat from your head down to your feet. How many of you remember that little? I don't even know where that came from. But If you take in the word of God, you will be strong as a believer. I could get up here and do the, let me entertain you. And most of you would leave because you said, is that all he got? <laughs> right? But that's not what you need. And for a year, they opened the scriptures and they said, this is Jesus, this is God, this is how you get saved, this is what God cares about, this is your mission, this is your purpose, this is why you're on the planet. And the people said, oh, and people said, yeah, and people said, amen. <laughs> Can you imagine Paul and Barnabas leading your church for a year? That'd be pretty cool. I'd be coming to every Bible study. <laughs> you got a revelation directly from the Lord? Tell me more. And they led the church. And the church was making a powerful impact, so much so that some scholars, and I won't be dogmatic on this point, believe the townspeople named them Christians. They didn't know what else to call them. And some of them may have said it in a derisive way, Christians. Kind of like some of your friends and coworkers do. Christians. I was in a parking lot years ago. I was playing on the slow-pitch softball team at a baseball background, and I was playing with a friend. We were playing pretty high-level competitive softball, and so he, we're standing in the parking lot, and he looks at me, and he starts telling me a story about this born-again Christian who's in his company. It's born-again. Guy's driving me batty, man. Come Jesus and Jesus and church and Jesus. And I said, Tim, hold on. Apparently, I'm not doing a very good job because... <laughs> I am a born-again Christian. You are? I said, there's no other kind of Christian other than a born-again Christian. Born-again Christians are not separated from normal Christians. Who Born-again Christians don't have the 
multicolored wig at the football game. John 316! <laughs> yeah. Right behind! Right? There are no other kinds of Christians than born-again Christians. He went, you are? I said, yes. Well, that man got saved. He's now an elder in the church. And you know what the cool thing is? It was a reminder to me that people have these weird things, about the, the, the weird thoughts about Christians. Look, I'm just like you, but I'm not ashamed to say I've been redeemed. Let the people of God say so. Amen? We've been redeemed. Now, the people looked and they said, no other way to describe these people. They are Christians. And I told you the story about the lady in the store. I've heard about you people. I pray that that's our witness. That people in this city, when they think of the term, they'll say, like Christ. Now look, we're not going to take on the uh, physical attributes of Christ. Nobody even knows how Christ looked. But we are conformed into the image of Christ. That means morally, spiritually. We will car- carry and conduct our lives. The more we're clothed with Christ, the more people will say, ah, you're a Christian. And we may not even need to necessarily come out of the gate with the gospel for somebody to know that. Right? They can sense it just by the way we live. Now at this time, some prophets who were active in the early church came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of, them's, uh, one of them named Agabus. His name could mean to love. He stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And that would be the Roman world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. Claudius reigned as an emperor from 41 to 54 AD. And there were many famines during that time. And some of them hit Jerusalem really hard. And when Jerusalem was hit with all the people that needed to be taken care of, all the new Christians there, the persecution, when famine hit, it was a very difficult time for the church. And so famine was predicted. And I don't know if it was predicted to get the church ready for what was going to happen, but, but there was a prophecy given by Agabus. And he said, there's going to be a famine. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea, the area of Jerusalem. And this they did, sending it in charge in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now this is a precursor to the offering that will be recorded in 2 Corinthians 9. This is where we will end today. Acts, Romans, go to your right, First and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is a, uh, chapters 8 and 9 are about an offering taken for the poor saints in Jerusalem. It would become a way to preach the gospel because the Jewish Christians, if they got an offering from Gentile churches, would say, well, well, apparently these people are believers. Look what they did. They reached into their pocket when we were hurting and gave us money. I was talking to little Tori DeMartel out there, and she's 19 years old, and many of you know she's, she's uh, going to go to India. She's going to care for children that have been cast out because they have issues physically or mentally. So, about uh, six weeks ago, she put word out she had to raise $6,000 to get to India and do a ministry for six months in this house that takes care of these kids. In six weeks, she received over $6,000. Isn't that amazing? 
And I asked her, are you fully funded, Tori? And she said, yeah, I have more than I need. And then she said, but Pastor Michael, I need to tell you something. I said, go ahead. She hesitated. She said, there's, there's one of the kids in one of these homes needs a surgery. It's going to cost $10,000. The ministry is trying to raise the money So she said, we need a little bit more help. And she said, I'm not asking Living Truth to do it all. The ministry's putting it out there to multiple people in churches. But I am saying there is another need beyond my just getting there. Something to pray about. But I tell you what, it becomes a message to people in another part of the world. Uh, Some weeks ago, I mentioned to you, we have uh, missionaries in Uruguay. Their van broke down and they had a leaky roof. What'd you guys do? You raised all the money to fix their roof in their van. Awesome, man. And here's missionaries in Uruguay, a young couple, probably in their late 20s, and they got a message from you that you believe the gospel because you took money out of your pocket and you said, keep ministering in that area. We're with you. Remain true to the Lord. How we need encouragement, man. How we need one another. How we need to come along each other and say, press on, and remain true. Now this is the offering. This is the final section. It says 2 Corinthians 9.12, as Paul writes, for the ministry of this service, 2 Corinthians 9.12, is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they, the recipients, will glorify God for your obedience to your confession. In other words, you put your money where your mouth is. Your confession of the gospel of Christ and from, for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they, are, they also by prayer, they can't pay you back financially, but they're going to pray on your behalf and they'll yearn for you. They want to meet you. Because of the surpassing grace of God in you, they'll get another taste of grace through your offering. And then Paul ends the section with, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Isn't that awesome? That verse is often used for the gospel because it's such a great description of God's gift at Christmas when he sent Jesus, but it actually in context speaks of a financial offering. But the financial offering so spoke of the gospel that Paul kind of mingled the two ideas together and said, thanks be to God. That's the gospel on display. Indescribable, right? What God has done for us in Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for the love and grace that you have poured upon us. May we stay true as a fellowship with a resolute heart. May we stay on track. There are some precious people listening to my voice right now that have been hurting and felt alone. Please, would you encourage them to press on? There are some here that are facing health challenges and tough times. I pray that you would help them to press on and remain true to you. For you always remain true to us. Help us to hang on even when we disappoint ourselves and fall short. Help us not to look back on the things that used to be, but to look forward to what's ahead of us. Let us press on towards the goal for the upward call, the prize, as we pursue Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for this group. Um, Thank you for the way that they are impacting others around them. Please help us all to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to be described as good people, Christians, going about doing good. 
Thank you. That's, that's indeed what is happening in so many lives. If you keep your heart and head bowed, if you're not a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. He loves you. He rose to defeat death. And he wants you to ask him into your life. That will take two things. Repentance, turning away from your sin. And faith, placing your full trust in Christ. Don't wait another moment. You can experience this new life. You can leave here forgiven of all your sins. You can start fresh. You can be born again from above. Ask him into your life. It's something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I trust you as my Savior and as my Lord. Please make me new in you. Lord, for the saints that are here today, please again, I just pray your blessing and strengthening on them. All glory belongs to you forever and ever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Now, you already mentioned this in your teaching. Um, Verse 26 can you, is there any more insight that you can give us that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch? What exactly, Pastor Michael, is a Christian? When you uh, find an I-A-N on the end of a word like Herodians, um, it, were, it, were, uh, it describes those who were uh, faithful or loyal to Herod. And so Christians with an I-A-N on the end were those who were faithful and loyal to Christ. Christos, the anointed one, Jesus the Christ. So who is a Christian? Well, in this way of explaining things, taking that word for what it means, a Christian is one who is loyal and faithful to Christ. It is one who says, Jesus is my king. The Herodians might have said, Herod is my king. Christians say, Jesus is my king. He's my Lord. He's my savior. And so that's really what it means to be a Christian, Oscar, simply put. It's loyalty and faithfulness to Christ It's a person who's been touched by the love and the power of Christ and a person who says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We want to thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio and thank you for tuning into these broadcasts. It's a blessing to share the Word of God with you. If you'd like more information about Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in the city of Corona, if you'd like to access some of the helps that we have online, we have a church app that you can access Uh, the Living Truth app. You can find it on uh, Apple or Google Play. You can go to our website, livingtruthradio.org, and access messages, videos, articles. Um, You can give to this ministry. You can let us know you're a radio listener and just uh, let us know how this ministry has blessed your walk with Christ. All of that can be found at livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz and some help today from Cameron Thomas. Thank you, Cameron. This is Pastor Michael Lance, and we'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. 
We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.